What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase relatable role models and their journey in work and life, including their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and much, much more to help you achieve your potential, become your best self, and continue to be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Virit Agarwal, and let's get started. If this is your first time joining us, I'm excited to have you, and thanks for making the time. If you're returning, welcome to a new segment on the High Flyers podcast called Curiosity Center. A number of you have asked for specialized episodes in addition to the existing episodes, so I've listened and I'm excited to get this going. So what is this segment about? Two things. One, shining a light on exciting brands, founders and leaders, showcasing the startup they're building, how they started, the unknowns and an inside view of the industry and what a career for you could look like. And secondly, unpacking specific topics. For example, Web3, crypto, medicine, transport, all in an intro for beginners format and give you the ABCs to get started. These Curiosity episodes will be available two to three times a month alongside the existing weekly episodes. And you'll also see certain episodes being sponsored. And I'll be very open about that. And as always, every episode will be candid and neutral. And I'd love for you to visit our website to find out more. The link is in the show notes. That person said, hey, that, that was really helpful. I found uh, what you told me really made me think about the issue in a different way. Why don't you share that with others? And, you know, till that point, I never thought of sharing this with others. I was mentoring a number of people at work and outside. So what that person said stuck in my mind. And I just came home and I went to LinkedIn and I uh, dashed off some of those thoughts. And it came to 102, 103 words. And, you know, pretty much on impulse, I rounded it off to 100. I put a hashtag of leadership in 100 words and I sent it out into cyberspace. And I noticed a number of people began engaging. People started asking questions. Many people, you know, appreciated it. So then that became a way for me just to engage with people. You know, I'd hear something, someone would ask a question at work or in a guest lecture. Somebody would write in on one of my free previous posts and it took a life on off its own. That's my Naktar and welcome to episode two of the Special Curiosity segment. Today's conversation will take you inside writing, publishing and leadership. Maynak is the Vice President and Managing Director for India and South Asia at Kimberly Clark and best-selling author with 26 books to his name with the latest being Leadership in 100 Words, which we unpack today, diving into what it means to be a leader. We also go behind the scenes of being an author, how Maynak writes, systems and habits, and how writing has made him a better leader. So enjoyable to have Manak back on the show for the second time in this super insightful conversation. So please do enjoy. And as always, I'd love for you to leave a review or rating on your podcast app so I can keep making this show better for you. Manak, welcome back to the show. It's the same conversation, but a new segment. Hi, Vedit. Wonderful to see you again and great to be back uh, chatting with you. Yeah, it's really exciting to have you on. We were just, for listeners, we were talking before you went on record and I was saying the new segment, I think just your journey and and your author experience and leadership experience, I think will provide a lot of perspective for a lot of people, whether they're 
early in their journey or their professionals in their career. And I think your perspective is always refreshing. So why don't we get into it? Absolutely. Maybe the first thing to to find out is tell us a bit about like what you're doing nowadays. I know you do, you've got a few jobs. For someone who may not be as familiar with yourself, can you give us a quick introduction on what you do? Yeah, so with it, I guess, like we chatted last time, you know, I, I do many jobs and uh, they haven't changed since we last talked. So I think the most important job I do is just trying to be the best possible dad and husband I can be. And that's a full-time job in and of itself. Uh, married to Pooja, we have a 13-year-old son, Adi. And especially over the last two years, I think we've all realized that ultimately what really matters is family and whether they're safe and healthy. So that's my job number one. Uh, job number two is, you know, may, maintaining a full-time corporate career. So I work with an American multinational, heading up their business for India and South Asia. And I've been in the CPG business now for almost 25 years. Started with Procter & Gamble, then General Mills, and now with Kimberly Clark. So that's job number two. And uh, job number three is the stuff I do to really just feed my soul, stuff I'm passionate about. And that's writing. So I try and write a little bit every day and uh, fitness. So that's uh, me in a nutshell and what I try and do. Yeah, I, I love your humility every time we talk. You make it sound very easy to have those all those jobs, but I'm sure it's a lot of discipline and, and time commitment. But let's get into it with your with your book. And, yeah. and for listeners who might not be familiar, you've you've just recently launched Leadership in a Hundred Words. Um, and I think it's your fifth or sixth book if I'm if I'm correct. Uh, and it's your fur. Yeah, this is I think book number twenty-six. But, Sorry, book number 26, so the yeah. two before the six. So there you go, 26. Tell us about that. Like, Firstly, I think it's always interesting what influenced you to write the book. I mean, yeah. I know you're a leader yourself in your corporate career, as you said, and, and you show those leadership behaviors. Were there any particular moment or influence that led you to want to write this book? I'd say there are three broad moments or influences. One, I think, is not a specific incident, but a longer-term influence. Uh, is that I, I feel I've been really blessed and lucky to have some wonderful mentors in my life. And that includes some leaders I've worked with at work, but it starts before that. My mom, my dad, my grandfather, you know, my wife, my son, my karate sensei. I, I feel I've been blessed to be able to learn from many people on how to become a better person and a better leader. And so mentoring and helping others grow is something I've really been very passionate about. So that's, I think, one longer term theme that's been on my mind for a long time. The immediate spark for how this all started was, uh, you know, I was chatting with someone in my team. This is sometime in mid 2019. Uh, that person wanted some advice on an issue they had in their team. And I, I gave them some advice, uh, really tapping into stuff I'd learned from some of my mentors. And at the end of it, that person said, hey, that, that was really helpful. I found uh, what you told me really made me think about the issue in a different way. Why don't you share that with others? And, you know, till that point, I'd never thought of sharing this with others. I was mentoring a number of people at work and outside. So what that person said stuck in my mind. And I just came home and I went to LinkedIn and I uh, dashed off some of those thoughts. And it came to 102, 103 words. And, you know, pretty much on impulse, I rounded it off to 100. I put a hashtag of leadership in 100 words and I sent it out into cyberspace. And I noticed a number of people began engaging. People started asking questions. Many people, you know, appreciated it. So then that became a way for me just to engage with people. You know, I'd hear something, someone would ask a question at work or in a guest lecture. Somebody would write in on one of my free previous posts and it took a life on off its own. And I think the second uh, incident that really took it to the next level was really COVID. I think with COVID, people just felt more disconnected. A number of young people were facing career uncertainties. 
I put out an open offer on LinkedIn saying, if anybody needs help, reach out. And within a couple of weeks, I was like mentoring over two dozen young people, you know, helping someone with a resume, helping someone prepare for an interview. And that just made me think there are so many people out there who could benefit from mentoring, but they don't really have access to mentors. So I began posting more frequently uh, with the same hashtag. And over time, a few people started saying, hey, why don't you put this all together in the form of a book? So I'd actually not thought of a book. And uh, that's how it all came together. And this book really came to be. Now, we know, you, as you said, you've written 26 books and, and they're on a variety of topics. So you it's kind of a rhythm for you. But this segment's really about the what, how, why. And, and there might be listeners who want to become writers or uh, are writers in a in a hobby way can you can you share a bit about your writing process like if you go behind the scenes because i've recently started a newsletter and i find putting thoughts into paper is a very different craft than verbally talking and and 100 words and having that word limit is again a, a craft in itself have, have there been two or three either mistakes you've made or big learnings you've had about the writing process Sure. No, that's a great question, Vidit. And uh, I've made lots of mistakes. So if I start listing them, it's going to be a really long list. <laughs> but uh, if I distill it down to you know a few things I've learned uh, that you know anybody who wants to get into writing should think about is first, write about stuff that matters to you. Uh, I, I think a lot of people and a lot of young writers who reach out and say, yeah, I want to write a romance because I think romance sells. No, just write about what you're passionate about, stuff that means something to you. And uh, that's, I think, at the core, because that's what's going to get your creative juices flowing. That's what's going to keep you motivated, even when you hit rough patches, rather than treating writing as a chore. It should be fun. It should be something you enjoy doing. So, you know, just to uh, the second question to ask is uh, write about what you think will make a difference to others. And by this, I don't mean everybody should write life changing stuff. But what are you really trying to do? Writing is all about evoking an emotional response in people. And just think about what emotion you want to evoke. What do people need? So I'll give a personal example where, you know, sometimes even when you've written many books, you realize you probably need to adjust course. So, you know, a lot of books I'd written recently were thrillers. And I love writing thrillers and I love, uh, you know, creating fictional worlds that are full of action and adventure. But especially over the last couple of years, I realized, am I better placed to use my experience and my love for writing to serve people with what they need today? which is a lot of people facing career uncertainties, a lot of people thinking about navigating the uncertainties of the current environment as it pertains to their career or their lives. And, you know, that led me to write Brand New Start, which is my previous book and now my most recent book. And uh, the third thing I'd say is just discipline. Uh, it's easy to talk of writing a book. It's very difficult to get started. It's even more difficult to finish a book. And it's like anything else. So I, I don't want people to get... Uh, you know, overawed by it. It's like anything else. If you want to be a runner, you don't just run one day and say, I can run. You do a little bit every day. If you want to get fit, you don't just go one day and, you know, pump weights. You do a little bit every day. It's the same with writing. Find a time slot that works for you. So I do it early in the morning, a half an hour a day. But the whole idea is it's a muscle like any other muscle. The more you use it, the more you use your mind, the more you're creating ideas and putting it on paper or a keyboard the better you get. So just do a little bit every day with whatever frequency works for you and get started. On the process, one of the comments I hear, and it's also a critique, is people say write the way you talk. Do you agree with that? Now, again, like you said, it depends on the topic, but if we generalize writing and if someone's publishing a newsletter, 
about something they've read and they're sharing their thoughts. Do you feel we should write the way we talk or should it be written in a different context? I, I guess, you know, that's where I'd say there's a subtle difference between being a writer and an author. When you're writing, you're writing you could write for yourself. Then by all hmm. means, write whatever you feel like. It's free flow. If you're writing a diary, if you're writing a blog, which only you're going to read, no worries. Then it's full, give free expression to whatever's on your mind. When you move from becoming a writer to an author, the biggest shift is you're no longer writing for yourself. You're writing for an audience. You're writing for the reader. And, and it's like, you know, you spent your time in consumer products. I've spent my whole career in consumer products. It becomes about that person you're serving. So hmm. write the way that will make the desired impact on your reader. That's how you need to think of it. Uh, and within that, you should inject your individuality. Within that, you should bring to bear your unique experiences. So if you're writing a thriller and you want to evoke a sense of adrenaline rush and suspense in your reader, you need to bring that to life. Uh, if you're writing a book which is about discussing careers and how people can build their careers, you need to say, hey, what emotions do I want to evoke? How do I want people to think about this? So I think there... The biggest difference is when you're just a writer and you're writing for yourself, it's about you. When you're an author and you're writing for the reader, it's about what you want to evoke in the reader. That comes first, followed by how do you do that in a way that uniquely plays to who you are. So does that mean you should always write the way you talk? Potentially not. Uh, I mean, it's the same as communication anywhere else, right? I mean, if you're working in a company and you're writing a letter to a customer, you're not going to write the way you talk to your pal over drinks on Friday. You probably mm -hmm. wouldn't. So I, I think it just comes into who are you serving? In this case, it's your reader, what's on their mind, what will best evoke those emotions. And I think that's, I think, the biggest difference between a writer and an author. And, and I'm sure you, you have a really good system for this, having written so many books and you've got so many different jobs like you listed earlier. That's probably the other question someone listening to this today might be wondering is, how does Maynard write? Like, do you pull out a piece of paper and you write with paper and pen or do you have a software online? Are there any suggestions or learnings you have, you've had in terms of systems and habits to help your writing? See, I have my um, systems and uh, methods. It may or may not work for everyone. So, you know, there's no formula to it, unfortunately. Um, so what I do is when I start writing and, and it depends on what I'm writing. So it's a slightly different uh approach to fiction and non-fiction. Uh, but what's common to both is I start by asking myself some big questions and I force myself to write them down and answer them. So if I'm writing fiction, I write down who's the reader? What emotion do I want to evoke in them? What do I want them to think of differently versus what they think of today? And then I start writing big questions like, who's the main character? What quest are they on? What dilemmas are they facing? Who's with them in the journey? How does this person go? So I force myself to write those down even before I get into the storyline. So, you know, in a couple of my novels, I've actually written, nobody's seen this, but I've actually written on a piece of paper. This is my character. This is how tall he is. This is the color of his hair. This is his favorite color. This is what he loves eating. This is what happened to him in his childhood. So because when you're writing fiction, you almost need to become that character. So the first step I do, even before I get into creating the story, is immerse myself into that character. So, you know, a couple of thrillers I wrote were about a former special forces uh, officer. So I really read up a lot about what's their life like. Chatted with friends who have served. 
um you know i i learned martial arts in my spare time so really talk to my teachers brushed up on hey how should i think about it so really get into that character the next step becomes the plotting which i used to write on pen and paper now i write on ipad it doesn't matter but just putting on hey here's a broad flow after that for fiction i then kind of dive in and it's free flow writing i have that broad construct and then i'm pretty much creating the story as i go for non fiction it's slightly different non fiction is by its nature a bit more structured uh where you ask some of the same questions who's the audience what need are you trying to meet how do you want them to think differently about something but in non fiction i try and break out this is the broad flow so if uh, this is the broad way i'm going to structure it these are the broad framework so i think non fiction is perhaps a bit more planned uh but i think it's a discipline of asking those questions to yourself before you dive in getting some clarity and then diving into the actual creative process now i'd imagine before you go to publishing a book and you speak to the publisher the step would be iterations and edits do you have someone or again a process that you show the first draft to and you get their thoughts it might be someone in your family or it might be a trusted friend so i think that again can go two ways some people go straight to publishing because they already have a rhythm whereas i as a new writer not an author i went to some of my close friends and i said hey can you read this for me and can you just look at it from a yeah. fresh set of eyes what what is your perspective on that in terms of uh, making edits i guess there are two separate questions there which is what do you do when you go to a publisher and uh, i think that's uh, worth answering mm-hmm. in and of itself is uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know if you actually want to get your work published what are the different questions you should ask the second is about editing and improving your story i think mm. it's always a good idea to get a second pair of eyes on your work because uh, you know all of us are human all of us become wedded to our work it's always good for someone else to have a look at it so i also used to bounce it off close friends or my wife or even if they don't read the manuscript just talk about the story hey does this make sense uh would the, do you think this would be interesting so i i think that's always interesting to do the second thing which i sometimes do is when i'm finished with a draft i let it rest for a month and then i read oh, about lots of other genres uh and then i come back to it and it's almost like you're kind of cleansing your palate if you were mm. and then you come back to it with fresh eyes uh because once you're in the middle of writing the danger is you get so sucked in and invested into the story that you know we're human it's hard to critique your own creation but once you create that degree of separation i found it helps come back to it after a month or month and a half go through it uh with a very different lens um where you're then saying look i'm not creating it i'm looking at it as a creative product so that's that's kind of how i do it and i guess for anyone else who wants to write you can see what works for you And and I guess the other one there would be like you said earlier just try right the first exactly. edit is exactly. not going to be the same as the 100th edit exactly if you try put yourself out there get feedback I'm a big believer in putting it out in public like people need to see it and exactly. they just the attempt is gets followers and gets exactly. believers and now, now before we go to um leadership the last question on writing I want to ask is can you tell us how writing's influenced other parts you like particularly in terms of work and I like you said I I worked for a number of years and emails is one thing that yeah. often makes me laugh because people write very long emails or they can distill it like I have become very fascinated by the art of kind of yeah. distilling an essay into two sentences or meeting into a quick bullet point email 
if I was to speak to some of your colleagues, would you would they say your writing in terms of emails has changed within those twenty six books? Like you're more concise now in your writing on emails and and updates to the business. I'm. I don't know. I I, I guess uh, hmm. for me the biggest uh, uh, connection point between writing and you know what I do in the corporate world, I'd say are three things. One is being a writer drives incredible clarity and focus. So, you know, in the writing business, they say, what's your elevator pitch? If you're talking to an agent or a publisher, no one's go- let's mm. face it, no one's going to read 300 pages to discover the next mm. great American novel. They'll typically say, hey, what's your story about? What's your book about? You need to distill the most complicated visions you have in your mind in 10 seconds. And um, so, you know, I, I won't even say email. Emails to me are, are also a very long way of communicating. I think one of the skills writing teaches you is how can you distill the core of what you want to communicate in as few words as possible? So if you think of a book, uh, when we go to a bookstore, we don't sit and read the whole book. We look at the cover, we look at the blurb, and we need to understand what's about. Or we go on Amazon and you look at the book description. So part mm. of the skill of being a writer is how can you convey and drive action uh, based on very few words, using the right choice of words to have a call to action, to evoke imagery. And I think that's something which is an invaluable skill in business as well. You know, for a lot of people communicating a business strategy is I need a 50 PowerPoint deck. A lot of people can just come and talk about it for five minutes because they know what to focus on. They know what's going to hit the right notes. The second thing I think that writing really helps with is storytelling and evoking emotions. Because if you think of it, writing is all about storytelling and it's about evoking emotions. It's all about understanding when you're taking the reader from page one to page 300, what are the emotions you need to evoke along the way? And it's the same with business. It's the same with dealing with customers. You know, most of the decisions we make in our life are based on emotions. Do you want to work in a particular company? Do you want to work for a certain boss? Do you want to buy a certain brand? Do you want to work with a certain customer or not? And I think what writing teaches you is one, understanding people, understanding their motivations, understanding how to communicate to evoke the desired emotions. And I think the third thing that I think is at the intersection of both of them is that balance between vision and execution. Uh, um, you know, you can sit and have the world's craziest and most creative ideas on the next amazing novel, but if you don't actually sit down and write it and make it happen, nothing will happen. It's the same with business. So that's where I actually see two parts of my life not being separate. I think there are many common themes because they're ultimately all about building things, building ideas and uh, connecting with and inspiring people. It reminds me of a conversation I had the other day with a startup founder. And, and as you'd know, this as a hiring manager, yeah. a case study is often a part of an interview exactly. process. And I said to them, I said, how do you do your case studies? Do you get everyone to come and present? And they said, no, we do not do any presentations yeah. because that gives a bias to charisma yeah. and personality. Whereas if everyone submits their case study in written form via email prior to the interview, it comes down to content and substance. Yeah. Yeah. And we want people to come with content and substance, not charisma and not be loudmouthed. And I think that's another example to your point of how writing goes straight to the point and it's not about all the other factors that we've used in the past. And I think going to the next topic of leadership, um, I think leadership in the past has been about that charismatic, big alpha person, which I think now we're seeing it with a lot of leaders and yourself, an example. It's not quite about that. It's about actually the substance and how you behave. Absolutely. 
Mm. Let's let's go into leadership, and, and the book obviously is about leadership and leadership in a hundred words. Now, leadership is not exactly a career path someone yeah, can choose yeah. to have. I think you earn it, and and people give it to you. But how do you define leadership? I mean, I know that's what the book's about, and and we definitely encourage leader listeners to read the book. But if you had to give an elevator pitch, what to you is leadership? Leadership to me is uh, about three things. It's first and foremost about empathy. It's about others. It's about understanding people. It's about seeing how you can help people succeed. And that's what many people miss about leadership. I mean, if you think of it, the CEO is the most useless person in the company. That person makes nothing. That person sells nothing. The only way a CEO exercises impact is by helping others succeed. So I think that's, I think, the first thing which, if I look back at my own career in business school, that's something most people don't pay that much attention to. People learn about functional skills, technical skills, but I think the most important skill you can learn is how do you understand people, how, you are, how do you understand what makes them tick, how do you understand how you can be of service to them and help them succeed. So I think empathy is the first one. I, I think the second thing that's really important for a leader to do is... Uh, uh, really approach things with a true sense of service. Because again, a leadership is not about your own achievements. Leadership is all about serving others. Now, whether that's your consumer, whether it's your customer, whether it's the people in your team, whether it's your community. I mean, the best leaders I've known and admired aren't people who are out there, you know, beating their own chest, talking about how great they are. Their fulfillment comes from having made a difference to others. And you know, to your point, the whole model of you know, the alpha male who's out there in the limelight, that's not leadership. That is achievement. Maybe that's a high achiever, but that's not truly a leader. A leader is somebody who is actually achieving success to help others succeed. And even better, seeing their own success through the success of others. And the final point I'd say is you know, a good leader is someone who never believes in their own myth. You know, a misconception is a leader needs to have all the answers. No. The best job of a leader sometimes is to know what they don't know. Be humble, have that sense of self-awareness, to know how they can keep learning, how they can keep growing. Because the day you say, I'm the expert at this, I have this all figured out, guess what? It's going to be a downhill slide from then on. And I think the best leaders are people who keep learning, keep reinventing themselves, are always curious about what's happening around them, and are always humble about the fact that they may have achieved a lot, but there's a lot that they can learn and get better at. And uh, that's kind of what I've seen the best leaders I've worked around and for uh, do, and that's what I try and do myself uh, in my little way. A listener might be hearing you say that and they might be wondering how they can be a leader in their life. And and this is a bit of a general question because yeah, yeah. there's no specifics yeah. there. Is there anything in your book that is a how-to on leadership irrespective of age or gender Absolutely. or the profession they're in? If you connect it back to an author, for example, yeah. authors traditionally don't work in a corporate environment. Yeah. Yeah. But if they want to be a leader, do you have any advice for them? No, absolutely. So, you know, my books got, I guess, over 100, close to 140-odd questions, common questions I got through my posts on LinkedIn or from others, and, you know, 100-word answers to each of them. So covering three broad aspects of leadership. Uh, one is how do you lead yourself, which is true for anyone. Even if you aren't in a corporate setup, even if you don't have a single employee working for you, even if you're an entrepreneur working all on your own, is how do you grow and develop yourself? Second is how do you adapt and lead through change? 
which again is broadly applicable to all of us. And the third is how do you lead others? And I, I so I think, uh, you know, I hope some of your listeners get a chance to uh, read the book. But I'd say a couple of themes that um, I'd say really uh, come out from uh, my book, which I think are broadly applicable to everyone, is the role mentors can play in someone's growth. So for me, this book, in a way, is really a dedication to all the great mentors I have. So each of these sections kind of starts with a story of a mentorship story where I learned something very different about one of these aspects from some of my mentors. And uh, one of the things I'd ask all your listeners to think of is, do they have mentors? And a mentor need not be a person in a business suit. I mean, my best mentors in my whole life have been my father, my mother, and my grandmother, and my grandfather, because you just learn different things from different people, values, principles, ways of thinking about things. And the second thought I'd leave with you is whether you're young or you're old, and whether you work in the corporate sector or not, how are you paying it forward? Are you mentoring someone else? I mean, that for me is the core of leadership, which is you are learning from others, and then you're not just using that for your own success and development, but you're paying it forward. That could just be helping young people in the community around you, getting involved in a cause you're passionate about. Maybe you've picked up skills or experiences that you're helping someone else with. That for me really is the essence of uh, leadership, which I think anyone can apply no matter what they do. Now we must talk about India and and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you're based in India and I know you have quite a big following on social media and through the various um, jobs you do and then this show continues to have a growing following in India I mean my heritage is Indian how has leadership evolved for you in the Indian context particularly if we talk about maybe the last two years yeah. to kind of give it a give it a, a boundary with COVID what maybe a two-part question what to you has surprised you the most about leadership in India it could be young people or just the country in general and what excites you the most as you go forward about leadership in yeah. India no, I'd say even if I uh, dial back beyond a two-year time frame, I'd say if you take a more longer-term view, <clears throat> I think one of the big differences in how leadership is seen as playing out in India, and it's true for many other markets in Asia as well, is uh, you know a few years ago, leadership was seen very much as positional, hierarchy-based. You know, the leader has to be this almost larger-than-life, inaccessible person. Uh, who's operating in a command and control mode. I I think that model has changed dramatically over the years. And I think many factors have shaped that. I think the expectations of younger employees have shaped that. How people are connecting with each other through social media, through technology has changed that. So, and I think that's only accelerated over the last couple of years. You know, for a long time, uh, senior business leaders in India and some traditional companies were really kicked about having a big corner office. When you're working in a hybrid or a, virtual model how does it matter you know your office is the room you're in so i think Mm. the last two years has upended a lot of those conventional signals of hierarchy or positional power but you know what we all have the same share of shelf if you were is that one Mm. little box on a zoom screen right doesn't matter if you're the ceo or the new person in the team and i think that's more broadly true as well if you think of how technology has kind of been a great equalizer All of us have the same share of voice on Twitter. All of us have the same access to a LinkedIn or a Facebook. So I think the whole idea that your ability to express your opinion or be heard is defined by, you know, your years of experience or your hierarchical power has gone for a toss. And I think that's been a wonderful change. And uh, what I've also noticed over the last few years, which I really love, is younger people are really taking the lead on changing the status quo. And that's something I'm really kicked about. Because if you think of any revolution in human history, 
it's not been created by old men sitting in a room because you know what old people are vested in the status quo and when mm. i look around and i see you know startups i see people like yourself who are starting out uh, with ideas of their own i look at young people getting involved in community issues or in the environment that gives me a lot of hope i mean i'm a dad of a teenager and when i see the kind of questions he asks versus the stuff maybe we asked when i was his age you know i'm mm. inspired because that just gives me hope that our future generations are growing up much more globally aware feeling much more confident about challenging the status quo about wanting to make a difference and i think that's also upending the whole idea of leadership and leadership is not the position you have it's the impact you make and uh, i th- i think a lot of the younger folks today are making a disproportionate impact last question manak you mentioned earlier about mentoring young yeah. people and it's a topic i'm personally very invested in because i speak to a lot of young people in australia and, and and a few overseas as well recently and the biggest question i get if they if they want to approach someone like you or, or even me as i as i build more kind of credibility is they feel they can't give back or they feel they it's a one way street where they go if i'm going to speak to manak how can i give back to him and i always say one way to give back may not be the right phrase but he's kind of asking really good questions as a mentee to your mentor i wonder if there's anything you've seen in your best mentees one trait or one skill you can share with the listeners that you go that's what impresses you or you go to a 30 minute coffee and you walk away energized like what is that one thing about a mentee that you love that you share with the listeners i guess the first thing i'd advise your listeners is never think of mentoring as a transactional relationship mm. it's not about i'm getting something and what am i giving back i mean the core of mentoring is the spirit of service uh people genuinely wanting to do stuff to pay it forward and help others if in a small way so you know the best mentors aren't thinking of getting anything back in fact the biggest high they get back it's just the feeling that hey i've paid it forward a little bit i've been fortunate i've been lucky to have great mentors in my life hopefully i've just helped someone in a little bit and that's enough your mentor doesn't want anything more now i'll i'll tell you however the one big misconception is mentoring is a one way street i learn a lot from every single person i mentor and uh, i and i think the way you create that learning experience is not to make mentoring a transactional relationship so mentoring isn't about hey i'm applying to this company how do i craft my resume yeah somebody could help you that's not mentoring mentoring is really getting to know each other as people really getting to understand motivations values understand what makes a person tick using somebody as a sounding board that's when you really get the benefit of learning from people who might be at a very different life stage who might be going through very different challenges in their life and you know sometimes for for a mentor uh, another misconception is a mentor has all the answers i don't have all the answers right all of us mm. have our own unique journey so sometimes where a mentor learns the most is by talking to a mentee a mentor learns to help that person ask the right questions and through that the mentor himself or herself learns that hey maybe this is an issue which i could think about differently as well so i'd say don't make it transactional invest in building that relationship um and really see the value add as really acting as a sounding board getting to ask those questions rather than you ask a question and the mentor gives you an answer fantastic perspective and, and last point manak where can listeners buy or read your book in in india and outside india yeah so the book's just been released recently so it's available in paperback and kindle format uh 
on Amazon and Kindle format, paperback and leading bookstores on Amazon in India. For international readers outside of India, the Kindle format's available on Amazon. Uh, the paperback should be on its way in the next couple of months. And listeners, I'll include the link in the show notes and with the exact title, I believe it's called Leadership in 100 Words by Mainaktar. Well, that's the finish line, Manak. Thank you so much for joining me again. You're the second return guest and I I know every time we speak, I learn a lot of things and you have a beautiful way of calming a person and putting things in perspective. So thank you. It's great catching up with it. Thanks so much. There you have it. I hope you took away some valuable insights about how you can start writing better and aspire to be an author and be a leader in your own capacity. And as always, I'd really appreciate if you can leave us a review or rating on your podcast app so we can continue making this show better and keep having fantastic guests like Maynak.